Today on Multiverse News, the Disney delay deluge, The Flash's director is favored for a Batman reboot, and Transformers Rise of the Beast conquers the box office. That news and more awaits you right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Jay Scotty St. Clair, taking the hosting duties for Matthew Carroll once again, and I am joined by, you know her, you love her, Haley Hobbs. How are you doing? I'm great, but I don't know if anybody loves me. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I'm here whether you like it or not. <laughs> and... Back from his vacation, we've got the wonderful Jay Sisson. What's happening, Jay? Uh, I'm back. I'm feeling refreshed. Um, not really, because when you go on vacation with kids, it's just like really busy and crazy, and you don't get to relax <laughs> at all. But you know, it was it was uh, just taking care of them in another place with sunshine, basically. Okay, <laughs> it's always good <laughs> to get away. Right. But good to be back. I'm glad to be back with you guys. Missed uh, missed yeah. hanging out last week. We missed you, and uh, we're glad to have you back. So. All right, let's get into this news, starting with, first of all, Disney announced major shakeups to its release schedule with far-reaching effects to some of the biggest franchises under its belt. Most notably, the Marvel slate has seen a complete overhaul with Phase 5 film Captain America Brave New World shifting dates from May 3rd, 2024 to July 26th, 2024, which in turn delays the Thunderbolts to December 20th, 2024. Similarly, Phase 6 is seeing Blade and the Fantastic Four pushed to February 14th, 2025 and May 5th, 2025, respectively. Perhaps the biggest impact is both Phase culmination Avenger films being delayed by a full year each, with the Kang Dynasty now eyeing a May 1st, 2026 release and Secret Wars set for May 7th, 2027. We've talked at length about how the challenges Marvel is facing require some re-strategizing, do these change-ups give them the time and space they need to course correct? So it's important to mention that it's not just Marvel affected by this. You also have delays uh, of the Avatar franchise. All of those movies are moving back uh, pretty far. The Avatar 3 is going to December of 2025. Avatar 4 is going to December of 2029. <laughs> and Avatar 5 is going to December of 2031. So uh, where are you going to be in 2031? <laughs> It's like kind of weird to think about. It's like existential crisis inducing uh, thinking that part of the future. Uh, but Star Wars is uh, is affected too. Uh, there are three Star Wars films on the slate. One is for May of 2026, which coincidentally is the same month as Avengers Kang Dynasty. So keep an eye on that. That will be a crazy May if that happens. Uh, but also December of 2026 and December of 2027. So it's the whole Disney slate. Uh, this should not be surprising at all. We've been talking about it for weeks, how everything's being delayed. We've been talking about these films one by one, uh, losing um, writers and losing the ability to produce and uh, script the way that they want to 
be created. Uh, so this shouldn't be surprising. Uh, to be honest, I know people are bummed out about this. I don't think it is such a bad thing. Uh, I think especially when it comes to Marvel, there were problems that were mounting. You have the obvious ones like the Jonathan Majors issue associated with Kang. But you also have the fact that audiences weren't keeping up step for step with all of these properties coming out. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant for a lot of people. They weren't able to keep up with it. Uh, you also have the fact that casting is starting to kind of get bogged down a little bit. There's already things coming out today about fantastic forecasting might not be locked in and Adam driver might be out. Margot Robbie might be out and that's mm -hmm. all getting a shake up. So you have that. Then you have the writer strike going on. These properties can't be, fleshed out the way that they need to be. So honestly, when you're looking at the bigger picture, I think pushing these things back, what's better? Is it better to just like steamroll ahead, make the thing? They're not as good. They're not as well received. You're, you're, you've got a hand tied behind your back on set. Is it better to do that and get it a year faster? Or is it better to just let all of these things play out and then come together, write the thing, create the thing that you want to make, and then put it out at a delayed or on a delayed schedule to me that's the preferable choice yeah i don't think i ever thought these dates were in concrete for marvel slate especially the star wars one is super new and avatar you know it's kind of out there in its own universe doing its thing because james cameron but <laughs> if you thought marvel especially was going to stick to these i think that's living in a fantasy land not even for just all the reasons jay listed but that movie making has gotten so strenuous and big and budget wise, even this wasn't going to be realistic. So this is okay. And it's okay for all the reasons that have been said already. Right. I think one of the reasons we led so heavily with the Marvel stuff is because I think most of us here can safely say we prescribe to the sentiment or the notion, make mine Marvel. But also I think it speaks to just how, still unique Marvel is in this landscape of blockbuster movies. Like they are still the one with far reaching plans and like they announce their, their movies like so far in advance and they really have this strategy for this overall connected universe that they're building and the phases that are there. Not every film comes out and does an El Capitan presentation where they tell you like all of their movies. So Marvel's still unique in that regard, but I also did want to mention that amongst all of these delays, it is worth mentioning that I don't have the dates right in front of me, but Deadpool 3 actually got moved up. Uh, Jay, did you happen to have the, the dates for Deadpool 3 handy? Yeah, Deadpool 3 comes out on May 3rd, 2024. I think originally it was supposed to come out in November, so it's hopped up a few okay. months over the summer. Okay, so it's not all bad news, but I still think a lot of this is up in the air. This is probably not the last time that we're going to hear these dates change, especially yeah. with the writer's strike still ongoing. So um, in terms of like giving enough time and space for course correction, kind of what, what you spoke to there, Haley, like movie productions, especially on this scale, are a big thing. And there is the Marvel machine, and they've seemed like they've hit this rhythm where they're able to knock out a production in the right around a year, but, uh, you know, that might be for better or for worse. And, uh, I think they are going to need more time and we're going to see more delays down the road. Yeah. If the writer's strike continues longer through the summer and into the fall, I think you're going to see all of these shift again. They're just going to take the yeah. place of one another and they're all going to move back again. So don't, uh, don't think this is the end of it. If the writer's strike can't be resolved anytime soon. Mm. All right, moving on from Marvel and Disney to Warner Brothers in DC. After languishing in development hell, The Flash is finally set to hit theaters later this week, and the film's press tour is in full sprint. 
Star Ezra Miller has been noticeably absent as the studio has focused on marketing and promoting the film itself rather than its star, which is unsurprising given Miller's problematic past behavior. While early reviews are positive and there is certainly buzz around the flick, box office projections for its opening are soft at around $70 to $75 million. Director Andy Muschietti has featured heavily in the film's promotion, and while there won't be a script until after the writer's strike ends, he is reportedly the frontrunner for the DCE, DCU's Batman reboot, Batman the Brave and the Bold. Does this news bode well for The Flash's chances to go the distance, and are we ready for yet another Batman on the big screen? Oh, there's so much to tackle here. Okay. First of all, (laughs) I have seen the reviews just all over the board for this movie. People have loved it. People have hated it. And there's been a big contingent of people who have been in the middle. And that's Mm. what I think we should all go into this movie expecting. Um, There's so much trepidation around DC. We've talked about it back when we were talking about Shazam, Theory of the Gods, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the bad things that happened to that movie that in the end we find out it didn't really deserve, but we didn't know that because we've been so burned by DC with all of the stuff that's going on. So I think that The Flash will suffer some of those same consequences. It does have a lot bigger pull with Batfleck in it and Michael Keaton coming back and Ezra Miller is a good Flash. Um, Their behavior and the things they've done, kind of setting that aside to go see this movie because like I was saying to some friends today, a lot of other people worked on the film that you can go and support in that way. Um, And so that being said, the director, I think this is the best PR move that DC's done in a long time. They just pushed Miller to the back and they brought somebody else to the forefront. And that's what you do in these kinds of situations. And so good for them that maybe they're getting a little more savvy about that kind of thing. Am I ready for another Batman? I don't know. I really liked Pattinson's. Um, I guess we'll see. Bat fatigue. I think the promotion and the the PR for this movie has been so fascinating because it's so unique. You have a star of a movie that's playing the lead role and you've effectively marketed the entire movie around other people, right? So the marketing, the PR has been a lot of Sasha Cali who plays Supergirl. It's been a lot of Andy Muschietti himself. Uh, he's kind of taken on a lot of the forefront of talking about the movie and how they made it and the challenges that they had and, and everything like that. You would normally expect the duties of the lead to that to be the duties of the lead in sitting down with reporters, having multiple screenings of the movie with red carpet events all over the world. They had one red carpet event for this movie. That was last night. And Ezra Miller was there. And Mm. it, it was weird because people didn't really know how to talk to them. They didn't really know what questions to ask. There was one statement that he, that uh, was given to like a reporter that was basically like, Hey, I uh, appreciate Andy and uh, Peter Safran and DC for just kind of supporting me throughout this whole thing. And that was it. And there was nothing else. There was no microphones shoved in their face. There was nothing else from there. So that's uh, unlike anything else we've ever seen, especially with a movie this big. And I think it is going to be a really interesting case at the box office. That $70, $75 million projection, that is anyone's guess. I mean, this movie could go off and hit 90, 95. It could do less than 70. I think a lot of it is just going to depend on kind of how the public reacts to, you know, the the marketing, which has been solid. But how are they going to respond? I mean, 
I'll, I'll say I did Google Ezra Miller crimes the other night because I was just like, mm. you know, I know it's bad, but like, let me just kind of refresh my memory on this. And I'd forgotten a lot. Like there is a the rap sheet is long <laughs> and mm. uh, there was a lot that I had forgotten about. So um, I think from a PR standpoint, they did what they could do. I think they did the best that they could do. I think they nailed the PR of it all in trying to not drive this movie through Ezra Miller and just the disaster that that could bring. But man, what an interesting case study in how to market a movie with a a lead who has gone through some very, very problematic behavior. Yeah, this is literally like crisis communications 101. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you both hit the nail on the head when it comes to the PR behind this movie and Um, Even the projections, we've seen more and more how projections really are just a guess and movies continually surprise us in both directions, sometimes doing well below projections or exceeding projections. But I do think there's just something about this movie. It's maybe it's the Michael Keaton of it all. But uh, even with the DCEU kind of being uncertain with its fate, like the fact that James Gunn came out and like vouched for this film, like he has not done for all the other films. I think that says something. And I keep going back to the fact that like, they they did something so unusual with like recruiting. I don't even know if they recruited or just how they got like star power, like Tom Cruise to like talk about his private screening or Stephen King coming out of the woodwork to like vouch for this film. <laughs> and I, I have to say, like normally when a, a film has some stank on it, you can kind of tell by like the review embargoes. But this thing has been out there in the, you know, the public eye for the better part of a couple of weeks now. So I am keeping my expectations, you know, measured. Um, I'm going to take everything with a grain of salt, but I can't help but be excited for this one. Yes, it's the age of the multiverse, but this one just, you know, the Flash is such a great character and and such a fulcrum when it comes to like the DC, the DC's multiverse. So um, I'm, I'm very excited for this one and I hope it does well, whatever the future of DC is. All right. The Autobots and Maximals rolled out in fine fashion last weekend, taking the top spot at the box office with a $61 million domestic debut. That was enough to narrowly beat out Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse in its second weekend, which saw a strong and impressive $55.4 million hold. The Transformers sequel-prequel from Creed II director Stephen Capel Jr. is a recent series best, beating 2018's Bumblebee, which opened to $21.6 million, and 2017's The Last Night. million debut. With strong competition just around the corner, has this franchise reinvented itself successfully enough to be more than meets the eye? Had you asked me about my interest in Rise of the Beast a week ago, I would have told you zero. I was not planning on seeing this thing, but the reviews (laughs) came out and the word of mouth was there. And I got to say, like, I think Bumblebee is still my favorite of the uh, the Transformers movies, but this is a strong second. Like, this was a decent movie could i have used a little bit more of the maximals sure but i think stephen capel jr did something uh pretty impressive and chose to focus on the characters that we had and these are definitely the human characters with the most agency we've seen since bumblebee so in that regard uh, it did exactly what it needed to do to get me reinvested in the transformers movies um I really only like that first Transformers from 2007, and I think that just spoke to me as a angsty 17-year-old boy. It just hit all the right <laughs> things for me at that time, and I think the rest of them until Bumblebee are pretty much unwatchable. Like I don't know what's going on. I can't follow it, and I'm I I'm I'm a nerd. I'm used to like you know keeping up with all all the convoluted plot lines and everything like that, but I just can't do it with Transformers. So um, 
it'll be interesting to see how it performs in the coming weeks because uh, one thing I did hear about is they're saying the only reason that it beat out Spider-Verse is because it took so many of the large premium format screens away from Spider-Verse and actually the same amount of people went to see, roughly the same amount of people went to see Spider-Verse this weekend that went to see Rise of the Beast. It's just that those premium formats generate more ticket sales because they're more expensive. So mm. will the bottom drop out of this thing? Um, it very well could, and that would not be great because the budget on this thing is significantly larger than what we saw with Bumblebee. And I just hope they don't give this thing back to Michael Bay because this is such <laughs> a refreshing change of pace. And I'm glad that, you know, whatever failings Bumblebee had in terms of generating um, revenue, they didn't let that deter them from taking the franchise in a different direction. Yeah, I don't need more Michael Bay Transformers. Like, I didn't mind the first movie, but I don't need, like, 10-minute sequences of how they transform and, like, uh, the you know, the military gearing up for 15-minute sequences and, like, all this stuff. Like, I don't need that. Uh, but I have not seen this yet, but I am interested in it. Uh, I was raised on Transformers, so I have a soft spot for it. I think a lot of people are like me. I think they're willing to give it a second, third, fourth chance because they like the franchise. It brings back good memories for them. And it seems like people who are like that, who are open-minded to the idea of Transformers and the franchise, liked this movie and walked away saying, hey, I'm kind of excited about where this franchise is going. So I think when you walk away with the fan reaction being that, I think that's kind of where you want to be. I've never seen that on one of these movies, but you said something interesting, Scotty, about the screens being taken up by Transformers from Spider-Verse. And this mm -hmm. is going to happen again this summer with um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Oppenheimer. And so mm. I'm curious to see how those box offices, this is like unrelated to Transformers, but this is not going to be the last time we hear of some box office bashing because of screens being taken up. Yeah, Tom Cruise is big mad. He is yeah, out he there is. just like giving it to uh, to Oppenheimer for taking his screens away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall see what the summer holds. Lots of competition out there. All right. And our final feature story. According to industry insiders, Nintendo and Illumination are reportedly close to finalizing a deal for the next entry in the Nintendo film franchise, The Legend of Zelda. More Nintendo films were given in the wake of the Super Mario Brothers movie's unbridled $1.6 billion success, with many fans clamoring for a Zelda adaptation specifically. Always the shrewd business, Nintendo is apparently aware of the franchise's potential, as the insider reports also suggest that obtaining rights will cost Universal quote-unquote a pretty penny. With the wealth of beloved Nintendo properties and characters to pull from, can Legend of Zelda create another legendary video game adaptation? So obviously not surprising because Super Mario Brothers was such a box office smash, raking in over a billion dollars, like you said. And The Legend of the Zelda makes sense as the next stepping stone for making Nintendo movies. Uh, the fan base has never been bigger than it is right now. Tears of the Kingdom sold 10 million copies in its first couple days. Each one of those things was $70. So you do the math. Uh, we're, we're looking at, you know, that game has well past a billion dollars in sales at this point. So uh, that fan base is huge and it's been around for multiple decades without a successful big screen adaptation. So people will show up for a movie uh, based on The Legend of Zelda. That will happen, absolutely. And I think if you're making this movie, 
Um, it's obviously just being reported as a rumor right now, so it's really far off in the future. But what I would really like to see is is Illumination kind of experimenting a little bit more with their animation in this. Because to me, The Legend of Zelda has always experimented with animation. You think back to when the GameCube came out and The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker came out. People were so excited for that. Like, oh, it's going to look so realistic because the Ocarina of Time looks so realistic. And then they hit us with this like cell-shaded, kind of like cartoony Zelda. And it was such a risk, but it paid off. Those people loved it. And then they turned right around and made a hyper-realistic looking one. And then uh, the same with the Switch. They've made all kinds of interesting choices with the animation. So I think if you're kind of going with that spirit of Zelda, I would really like to see that is just let people kind of cut loose with different types of styles. Uh, not necessarily just making like the Mario style, but Zelda, but just trying to kind of take it in a different direction, I think would be really cool. Yeah, this news really excites me. Like I, I think we knew we were going to get more Nintendo films, but I think my expectation was that we were probably going to get direct spinoffs from Mario, make like a Luigi film, maybe a Bowser solo movie, just expanding on those characters from the Mushroom Kingdom. But uh, the fact that we're getting Zeldas like this quickly, like really, really excites me. And uh, I actually agree with a lot of what you said there, Jay. The only hesitation I really have is that Illumination is continuing to be involved. And apparently uh, the father of Nintendo, Shigeru Miyamoto, was very involved in the production of the Super Mario Brothers. So I think that partnership is why they want to continue with Illumination. But I'm kind of hoping that, like you spoke to, Illumination has really been known for kids movies. And I, I have no problem with that. Kids movies are fun, especially if they have uh, humor in there that, you know, entertains all the kids and the adults as, as alike. But I think with Zelda specifically, it's always had, it's got its goofy, you know, kid friendly moments, but it's always had a little bit more of a mature tone to it. So I'm hoping illumination can expand a little bit, be aware that um, there are a lot of adult fans of the legend of Zelda. Like those of us that have been around since the original legend of Zelda to like, people like myself where the Ocarina of Time, which was one of the mature, most mature entries, was kind of our introduction to the world of Hyrule, Link, and the Triforce. So all that being said, uh, just going to have to wait to see how this one really shapes up, but could not be more excited about it. And if they're this willing to do Zelda right out of the gate, really makes me excited for a possible Metroid down the line. And in that one, they'd even have to pivot even harder towards the more mature but uh, we'll probably get some more kid-friendly ones in between that. Probably a Kirby, uh, maybe a Yoshi. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's check in with our listeners with the Spotify poll. What have you got for us this week, Jay? All right. So this week's poll was about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And the question was, what's your favorite main Spider-Person in Across the Spider-Verse? And there were several choices, pretty much all of the main characters. And by a narrow margin, Miles Morales wins it. Okay. It was second place was Gwen Stacy and third place was Spider-Punk. Nice. Uh, Spider-Woman not getting a lot of love. 3% no. of the vote. <laughs> Spider-Punk was my number one all all solid choices and i i'll give you know a little bit of uh credit to spider woman i think she served a a purpose in that film but we didn't really get to spend all that much time with her so hopefully in future installments we especially with that live action adaptation on the way we'll get her character fleshed out a little bit more and people can fall in love with her as much as they have these other characters for sure all right 
Now we're going to do our lightning round, the part of the show where we tackle some headlines that we didn't have time to feature as main features. And the way this round works is that I will read the headline and one of the three of us will buzz in with our name. The first one to say their name, it gets to speak on the topic and we are all afforded one rebuttal. So we get one opportunity to respond to whatever someone has to say about one of these topics. So let's get into it. First up, we've got Adult Swim has released a new trailer for the upcoming animated series, My Adventures with Superman, starring Jack Quaid as Superman. Scotty. All right. Yeah. Once again, I, you know, I have to represent the, the fans of the animated stuff here, but uh, I think, you know, this, this has a lot of, a lot of good going for it. The fact that it's Adult Swim, Adult Swim has put out some of the best animated content in the last few years, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think James Gunn with his upcoming Superman legacy, I think we might get some indications about uh, what that's going to look like in tone with this um, possibly. And I think Jack Quaid, like he just actually popped up in a bit role in across the spider verse uh, as one of the versions of Peter Parker. So uh, I, I think it's great for him to really embrace this um, kind of trend of him appearing in these like comic book and geeky properties. And I know he's done voice work on star Trek uh, lower decks, I believe it's called. So uh, this one, I think it's got a lot of great talent attached to it and looking forward to seeing more soon. All right, and now for the galaxy far, far away, Ahsoka will begin streaming on Disney Plus on August 23rd. We originally reported a rumor that it would be streaming on the 31st of August. Haley, first of all, Disney put that out. It wasn't even a rumor. I don't know why they did this, because we <laughs> called it. We knew it wasn't going to be on the 31st because it's a Thursday. So I don't know. I'm just excited that it got moved up a week. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is currently tracking for a 60 plus million dollar domestic box office outing. This lackluster projection comes on the heels of lackluster reviews, a sparse marketing campaign, and a crowded summer blockbuster listing of films. Jay, um, I don't even know if it's going to hit that uh, because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. The reviews are really bad for this movie. And I think people who are fans of Indiana Jones are going to want to see it because Harrison Ford is in it. And it's got, you know, the de-aged Harrison Ford and it's got all that kind of stuff. But the marketing hasn't been very good. There hasn't been a lot of uh, public marketing for this movie. Uh, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of people kind of out there drumming up support for it. And um you know, all of its leads like Harrison Ford specifically are out working on other things. They're not out promoting the movie. So I, I, I don't know. I think if you're making 60 million on your opening weekend in this crowded current summer box office that we have with Transformers and Spider-Verse still going on and people are still thinking about the Flash and then they're thinking about, well, I'm going to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer and all this stuff here in like two weeks or whatever. Uh, I think you're I think you're actually shooting a little high for 60 million. I'll respond to this one. This just kind of makes me sad. Like, I really want this movie oh, to me do too. well. <laughs> I've I've liked the trailers that I've seen. And you've got James Mangold. Like, I love James Mangold and what he was able to do with Wolverine and Logan. Like, he just seemed like the perfect guy. And his, you know, his body of work, including, like, 310 to Yuma, uh, Walk the Line. Like, 
I, I just really hope that people are just maybe, you know, being curmudgeonly about this one and that I'll find something to latch on to and really enjoy about this film. Like it, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not great, but I will say when I saw that in 2018, I didn't hate it as much as everyone else hated it. So maybe <laughs> I'll be in that camp again. <laughs> Tom Holland has announced that following the emotional weight of his upcoming Apple Plus TV series, The Crowded Room, that he is taking a year off from acting. Holland recently described the role as leading to a quote-unquote bit of a meltdown in his personal life. Haley, I I think this is like a PSA for this film or series, whatever it is, because this also made him quit drinking. He's been sober for a year, I think is what he said. So clearly this has some really heavy material in it. And I'm saying that kind of chuckling, but I do think that this is kind of him giving a warning to audiences that this is some very serious stuff. So maybe approach with caution. Um, uh, you know what? Tom Holland is choosing a really good time to take some time off because the writer's strike is going on. So everything's kind of being delayed anyway. And who, who deserves more time off than him? He's been working his little young butt off for a really long time. Yeah. I'll pop in with a rebuttal to say that uh, he, recently came out, I think it was today, and said that he was about eight months into this year off of uh, like the, <laughs> so it was like, it was, people were like, oh, it's, you're not even taking a year off. Uh, but also, too, everybody was freaking out, like, but what about Spider-Man? It's like, don't even, just calm down Spider-Man? with that. <laughs> yeah, calm down with that. There's not even a script. Like, uh, don't even, there's a writer strike. So I think uh, Tom Holland taking a little vacay is the least of your problems if you're worried about Spider-Man 4. <laughs> No doubt. (laughs) All right. The first five minutes of the upcoming Marvel series, Secret Invasion, is now available to view online. The first episode of the series begins streaming on June 21st. Haley, again. I am so excited for this series. This is like everything I love wrapped in Marvel, which is going to be super amazing. Uh, If you haven't watched those first five minutes because you don't want to be spoiled, we get that. But if you have and want to talk about them, Scotty and I joined Matt Carroll in the MCU cast this last Sunday, (laughs) two days ago. And uh, we broke those down and kind of speculated wildly on my half for sure. So check that out. I have to respond real briefly to this one after we did that. Breaking the rules. (laughs) You know me. You know me. Twelve percent of the time they work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, after we did that cast, like I kept thinking about how like the whole motif of this show is like trust no one. So I was thinking like, what if this isn't actually the first five minutes? Like, what if we watch this and it's just like a big marketing (laughs) stunt and this doesn't even end up being in the show or it's not the first five minutes or something? If they tell us not to trust anyone, (laughs) I'll say it for Matt. Lie to me, Marvel. That's too meta though, like five minutes and then we suck you in for five minutes. Just kidding. Like, no, that's too far. I kind of love that though, like in a really hateful way. <laughs> like, oh, we got you so good, you stupid fans. Kind of like they did in everybody's She-Hulk, mad. Like... Everybody's yeah. mad. Haley's in the background just cackling. That's <laughs> me, Harbinger of Chaos. <laughs> All right. Lucasfilm Games has released the first cinematic trailer for the upcoming Star Wars game, Star Wars Outlaws. A gameplay trailer was also shown, and the game was described as the first open-world Star Wars game. Jay, uh, Star Wars games have a very complicated history. Uh, There are some good ones, and there's a lot of bad ones. And the idea of an open-world Star Wars game has just been one of those things that the fan base has been wanting for decades and decades and pounding the table for and saying, give us something open-world. I would say with this news, don't 
think of it as super open world because it's still made by Lucasfilm's games. I think there, there will still be an element of it being on rails to a point <laughs> like, uh, you know, you could explore a little bit, but not too far, like something like that. So uh, but it seems interesting. The trailer was really cool uh, and it was really detailed and uh, it drew me in. It looks like it's going to take place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It seems like it's got a really good story. It seems like it's canonized. Like um, I'm definitely interested. Okay. Stan Lee, an original documentary on the life and impact of Marvel Comics creator Stan Lee, arrives on Disney Plus this week on June 16th. Haley, <laughs> uh, I love a documentary, so I'll watch this. But I think it's interesting how much Marvel has, Marvel Studios has hitched their horse to Stan. Uh, just because we know he wasn't perfect and there were a lot of things he did at Marvel that weren't super great all the time. And so... I'm kind of like, okay, well, are you going to spotlight other creators too? Or are you just so staked in the ground with Stan that this is all that we're going to see? Um, I'd like to see an expansion on those other world builders that helped him build the empire that we now know as Marvel. All right. Musician Maria Alina Rios has accused Black Panther 2 actor Tenak Huerta of sexual assault in a post on social media. Huerta has released a statement in response denying the allegations, claiming that they are quote-unquote false and unsubstantiated. Scotty, I don't think anybody really wants to touch this one, <laughs> but um, I'll just say, yeah, um, obviously, if there was any abuse, fully support the victim. Uh, but it just seems like Marvel can't catch a break right now. And it's like two for two on villains that like really seem to win the audience over. Like, that's unfortunate. Maybe Marvel needs to do a better job of vetting their talents. Like, it's almost like you're a politician at this point. If you're going to be in the Marvel movies, like, do a, a thorough background check because you are in the public limelight and, you know, uh, again, not victim shaming or anything like that. But if you've wronged anyone in the past, like, they're going to be gunning for you. So we'll have to reserve judgment until we learn more, much like the Jonathan Major situation. I'll use my rebuttal on this one, Okay. which it's not a rebuttal. It's just a response. Um, what's interesting about both of these cases with Marvel is because they're getting so much flack for this. E not really, but kind of, you know, immediately mm. when the news comes out. And then just like we were talking about earlier with Ezra Miller and DC, Ezra did a lot of very not okay and illegal things, but they're still using this person and they're still putting this movie out and they even put them out on the red carpet last night and, it's it's just fascinating to me from a communication standpoint to see the juxtaposition um, of the way these studios are handling this kind of stuff. I just felt like saying that, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's that's a, a good point. Yeah, yeah, very valid. There's so much common DNA between Jonathan Majors and this new situation that we have emerging and then Ezra Miller and it's, they're not the same situation, but there is the same kind of common DNA between you're a studio, you have a face of the franchise. How do we put them on the red carpet? How do we set them down for an interview? How do we navigate this territory whenever we know that there's this very public kind of uh, crime accusation or crime or proven crime in the case of Ezra Miller. So yeah. very, very complicated and new territory. Indeed. All right. The CW show Superman and Lois has been renewed for a shortened 10-episode season after months of negotiations. It will be the last remaining DC show on the network next season. 
Jay. Uh, it's important to note that the article that reported this for the first time also mentioned that this is going to be kind of a hamstrung season a little bit because of pay of the actors. So you have to pay the leads and these shows already do not have very large budgets. So to pay the leads, that meant that they will have to not only cut episodes, like you mentioned, it's shortened, but they also had to cut appearances from other main characters. So you will see a very stripped down version, I think, of Superman and Lois. I think you'll see a couple bottle episodes i think you'll try to see that budget trying to be kept as tight as possible so i don't know if that fully both i guess you're excited about this if you're a fan of that show but i think you have to kind of be a little bit like uh let's let's wrap this thing up if you uh if you follow that show the last two raw of the berlanti verse <laughs> at a press junket for asteroid city scarlett johansson confirmed her secret marvel project is still in the works but on pause due to the writer's strike Scotty. Haley. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, uh, I, Not a lot of meat there, but hey, at least we know it's still in the works. And uh, Asteroid City is coming to us from Wes Anderson. Um, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see Scarlet in it. And, uh, you know, a lot of these actors, like Elizabeth Olsen is kind of coming to mind. Has Have they been a little more negative in the press talking about their experiences with Marvel? So it's nice to see Scarlett Johansson, you know, still willing to work with Marvel and being excited for whatever projects she has in the works. And again, hopefully the writer's strike gets resolved soon and we learn something more substantial about this sooner rather than later. I'm 12 percenting. Um, last <laughs> yeah. year, Elizabeth Olsen was all about Scarlet Witch still and how she couldn't wait to keep playing. And now she's changing her tune, probably just because she's been away from Marvel for a while. I don't know, whatever. But I take those things like such with a grain of salt because. Oh, sure. <laughs> Wave the pretty, pretty money in their face and they'll come back. <laughs> hey, she went out, she went out and did that, uh, that HBO series and she's like feeling herself, you know, she's like, I don't need to be Scarlet Witch anymore. I'm out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start doing whatever <laughs> I want. She'll yeah. come back. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Multiverse News. Thanks to everyone for listening and or watching. Let's do like we always do and go around the horn and let the people know about everything else we have going on. Uh, Jay, why don't you clue us in first here? Yeah, I'm a co-host of Commute the Podcast, which is a weekly show that comes out on Mondays where uh, me and my co-host Dave try to teach you three interesting things on your way to wherever you're going. So uh, make that commute a little bit more productive and come, uh, come subscribe. Right on. And Haley. You can find me at Source Pages. We read comics and novels for all the geeky TV shows and movies we love. Pretty soon, we're going to be doing Secret Invasion core storyline, so check that out. And we did read Flashpoint. If you're into DC Comics like we are, we aren't just Marvel, so check us out for all those good things. And then you can find me on Bingers with Scotty and Matt covering the Mission Impossible movies. With the mention of Bingers Assemble and Matt, you know, uh, in the grand calculus of the multiverse, there are pleasant multiverses out there, and there are some that aren't so pleasant. And our fearless leader is in a world of pain right now. That's all I'll say without giving out too much of his information. So uh, please, you know, healing thoughts, prayers, intentions, vibes, whatever your proclivity is there, send them his way. Uh, and I know, again, not to be too self-serving, but he definitely would appreciate a five-star review to this show or any of the shows on the Stranded Panda Network. He puts a lot of his heart and soul into this network, and we appreciate him for it. As for myself, uh, please check out Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. 
And uh, if you've enjoyed Across the Spider-Verse as much as we have, jump in and join the conversation over there. Thank you. You stay classy, multiverse.